Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Megan. How was your week? How was your My day? My week was, uh, it's been pretty good. Um, tough, busy, but good. Yeah. What well, about it's you? Tough. It's always tough because we're women. It's every day. It's just, it's tough. It's tough <laughs> being us. Um, so that goes without saying. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling good about the show. I think we had a really great show uh, this last time. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to being even better this time. Yeah. And this was our first time doing extra bonus content for paying subscribers. And I think that was fun. Um, yeah. I feel like people liked it and it was a little more juicy than our, our, the rest of our content. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which was good. We talked about what was in our medicine cabinets and you kind of um, racially microaggressed me, which is I very, did. very good content. Also mm-hmm. ageist. It was ageist and racist. Well, because more where that came from. You assumed <laughs> that I uh, just had nothing but moisturizing products <laughs> in my medicine cabinet because I'm just old. Vitamin C. The vitamin right? C also, serum. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that a white thing? Yeah. No, I definitely yeah, have thing. gotten into the very expensive vitamin C serum mm-hmm. in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, are you not? Do you not have that? Do you not need it? I- I mean, I, I have I have it, but it's like, I don't know if I need it. I don't know if I'm going to age that way. <laughs> there needs to be, well, <laughs> there needs to be like special just skincare for for brown people as as we age. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a new market, actually. I was reading about that, about how like um, the the developing world is now doing better. And there's there are many women that are doing well for themselves as they get and as they age they have unique concerns so there's actually a market opening someone should make skincare for brown women okay skincare not for like people aging, who are not for, not for like women. people who are living in tents or you you don't mean that like the developing world you don't mean like no 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 you don't no, mean no. Like, like, in like, refugee like, camps. like how, like how india is doing better i see you know see. it was okay. where it was and now there's a lot of professionals okay. and now they're now they're aging now they have concerns okay because you're not saying it's like the mary Kay sales representative <laughs> should be moving through refugee camps <laughs> they no. should introduce like multi-level marketing schemes for cosmetics to come through like you know, the poorest places. This is a business idea. Yeah. We should do it's this. like, you don't, you know, you don't have uh, indoor plumbing, but you can have this, Beauty. Uh, this concoction, this, this amazing foundation. Um, okay. So uh, we wanted to cover a couple things before we get going. The first is the show name. So people might've noticed that we have a new opening. We have fabulous uh, uh, music by, Mia Dyson, who's a friend of the show, Australian musician, kind of Australian rock star. And we have the little clip from Madeline Albright fading into it. 
talking about how there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Now, are you finding that people are familiar with this quote? I mean, I, it's strange to me that some people might not be because I've heard yeah, it many times. It's really embarrassing for them. It's real. I'm embarrassed for them, but yeah. I, I will, we will help you there. Well, um, yeah. I mean, we'll now, it, now it. it's going to be just like a household <laughs> meme because it's the name of our show, but right. So basically this is something that Madeline Albright apparently said many times throughout her career. And it was just kind of a, a nice, you know, endearing, fairly anodyne statement uh, until she made it at a campaign rally for Hillary Clinton in 2016 um, and it went uh, totally sideways for her. And uh, she ended up actually having to, to walk it back. And she wrote a piece in the New York Times uh, in February of 2016, just about a week or so after she made this statement at a Hillary Clinton rally saying like, well, she didn't she didn't really mean it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it sounds vaguely threatening, you know. Um, yeah. Like it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty aggressive. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, um, yeah. But it's the name of our show because we obviously uh, don't help other women. So we obviously have so much internalized and so this externalized is that misogyny. <laughs> that, this is that special place. Yeah, it's help. a special place in hell. <laughs> Plus, the whole, the whole um, internet and world is hell. And this is a special place in it. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've said levels. before, I think this works on multiple levels. Yeah. So I really like our name. Um, and I agree that this is a special place and hope you do too. Um, and that, you know, so we've gotten some good reviews and ratings so far. Yes. And that's been wonderful. Thank you to all of you who have left really nice reviews. Um, and... What do we say to the to the one? To well, the- all fifty-one of you who have left ratings, fifty-one yeah. people have left ratings as of as of today. Oh, wow. so but yeah, the review. Yeah, I have to say though. Um, so we have a currently we have a four point eight out of five stars. I don't. I'm not happy with that. <laughs> I'm I'm fine with it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm- Wow, I, I was a solidly A minus student um, throughout school. So this, <laughs> this is an A minus. Um, <laughs> this is definitely an A minus, or maybe this it's is, an A. It's not an A plus for sure. It's not an A plus, but it is. I think it's an A. I think it's an A. And I, I, I do feel like if we're not, in order for us to be an interesting show, we have to not be like everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, well, that that's true in life as well. But you know what? I it's really hard when you're actually just looking at the 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 cold hard star numbers. <laughs> it's one thing to be like, yeah, no, to each his own. You know, you can't. I always say to my students, nobody will love you unless somebody hates you. I say that all the time. But then uh, when it applies to me, I don't like it very much at all. <laughs> um, yeah. So we had somebody saying, uh, let's see, love both hosts. Um, that's five stars must listen five stars intelligent conversation about current issues these two keep me sane highly recommended forbidden laughter five stars great variety thoughtful irreverent sometimes lol funny sometimes all the time speaks i think speaks to my gen x soul 
Well, that's no thanks to you, Sarah. Okay. Um, uh, honest, brave, fun conversation. Um, okay. Okay. And what about <laughs> what about how we're bad? Okay. So There's here we go. This person, they gave us two stars, and this person says they are both so very clever. I was looking forward to hearing what these highly accomplished writers, well, I like that part, had to say, but it's mostly just snarky one-liners and congratulating each other on how enlightened they are. Okay, that is not true mm-hmm. because I I would never congratulate <laughs> myself <laughs> or you <laughs> on that. I don't think we're short on mockery and ridicule these days. So I wish the hosts would just talk about their own beliefs and opinions and discuss issues from that angle and spending, instead of spending so much time making fun of everyone else. Hmm. I don't feel like we spend that much time. making fun. I mean, there's, there's some of that. Yes. There's some of that, but is, I mean, if you, if you timed it, time the podcast, Really, I feel like we spent a lot of time actually discussing the issues a lot. and talking about our op- opinions and beliefs. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're just peppering it with some lighthearted. Yeah, and we did. I think we, we did make fun of AOC at the top we of the last that. episode. But, but I mean, that was come really on. bad. That was re- yeah, that was really bad. That was and and this is a woman. She doesn't. She's not going to get hurt. She's not going to listen to it and be be upset. <laughs> That's what we think. <laughs> we're punching up to power. See, people always think that. Like if you are somebody who is in public or says anything in public, then you are impervious to criticism and it doesn't hurt you. I think people really do think that. Mm. Um, but in her case, <laughs> in her case, I mean, be- well, because <laughs> um, I, I just think that, um, you know, this is a, there's a tone that we have for this podcast and it might not strike everyone as uh, you know something they they enjoy or feel good about and that's okay um and i i think it's also it might be it might be hard for some of our followers who have um found us through our other work because my my other work is very very sincere and it's very you know (laughs) well you know i mean it is earnest it's very i'm i am earnest i'm earnest i think you're serious i think you're serious i think you're a serious-minded person Right. Yeah. And and that's so that I mean, that and that is that is me. That is, you know, it's not like that's a performance or anything. That is who I am. Um, but this podcast, I think both of us, when we were conceiving of it, um, it was this desire to do something different and your work with um, your other podcast and your writing. And that's serious. Um, it's nuanced, honest conversations that are getting to the heart of things and being very charitable. And that's extremely valuable work. Um, and I think that for both of us, for me, I think for you too, Megan, it was just, yeah, you know, let's, let's do something different. Yeah. Um, let's have, uh, a little bit of fun. I think we're allowed to have some fun. I think I, I think I'm allowed to have some fun. Megan, you maybe, are because you're know. a person of color. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's mandatory that you have fun, but mm-hmm. I, I really need to sit with myself and not have fun. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm, I mean, it is interesting to be getting this reaction to the extent that we're getting it, which is not a lot, but it is worth maybe thinking about because I have to say that when I started the unspeakable podcast, I wanted to make it an interview show because I wanted to like, instead of sitting around and talking about what we can't talk about, I wanted to just talk about those things. So I kind of wanted to take it to the next level. Like I love all the shows where people you know, banter back and forth and, you know, make fun Mm -hmm. of the nonsense in the, 
zeitgeist and all of that. But I wanted to talk with people who are not just reacting to information all the time, but actually gathering new information and having surprising thoughts. And I wanted to just kind of move forward. So that's why I have authors and, you know, philosophers and all the various people that I have. However, that is really hard to do, as it turns out. Uh, having a guest every week, especially if you're going to do it right, if you're going to prepare, if you're going to actually like read their book, read, you know, many of their books and think about what you're going to talk about. Um, it's, it's a lot of work and it's also just, I felt that there was a part of my sensibility that wasn't necessarily being kind of exercised. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, I wasn't, it wasn't like the kind of fun. I just wanted to have a funner kind of uh, rapport with somebody on a regular basis. So I think that's what we were looking and for I, here. And I think it like it creates a different it creates a different conversation and and not in a, not a worse one. Not, you know, I mean if with a with the interview thing or just doing, you know, one off producing your own work like I have been doing and I've been getting interviewed, right? But it's it's you're not having a conversation. You're not building upon each other's thoughts from, you know, week to week. Um, and even as a listener, as someone who listens to other podcasts all the time, it's a very different, I have a very different relationship with, um, the hosts of a podcast that just sort of have a conversation with each other, um, week by week discussing new things. I feel like it's a different mode of learning and of understanding. It's almost like a very, very, very long conversation <laughs> that, yeah. you know, you and I get to have for, however long we do this, um, which you you don't get to do on either an interview show or as you're being interviewed because you're just, you're explaining yourself, you are being listened to, you're hopefully there's good questions that are being asked, but you don't move past that level because there's there's only so much time. You have an, an hour and a half right. to get into something. Um, you can't really explore issues together, which I think is what's unique and fun about having a partner and, and being able to, you know, discuss topics and then come back around to them as they become relevant again, as something happens, that's important that, that that's worth bringing up. And then we, we continue that conversation. I think that's, yeah. um, that's just something that I've been wanting for, for a while. And, and I, it, I, I think that if we took on a very somber tone, I mean, one, it would just be less fun. <laughs> that would be that's, a slam that, dunk. That matters to me. We would, we would get like <laughs> seven stars. From each person, uh, we would, I, I just feel like that would be, it would be, um, boring. <laughs> and then I, then I, I mean, I, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to lock myself into like a, you know, PBS? We like, would be like news Le- hour Lex, conversation. Lex Friedman. Have you heard of him? Do you know who Lex Friedman is? Friedman. No, Friedman. that sounds that sounds he very. He is a guy who, um, he's one of these like. Uh, sort of sense making space people and he does these like five hour interviews um on on youtube but he has had huge people i mean i think he's has he had on jordan peterson i know he's had sam harris um and he he's very smart um but he's he's deadly deadly serious Mm. and but he has a big audience yeah i just think you can't i think i couldn't have deadly serious conversations this long you know what i mean like i just couldn't do that um, so that's, that's also maybe a limitation on my part as, <laughs> you, need to work you know, like as, as a human who yeah. you need to do the work want to. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this is different. And, um, I think it's not, 
I think we will cover things in a different way here. I don't agree that we're super starky and mean spirited. I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, but you know, we will punch up sometimes <laughs> or punch down, down if they deserve it. You know, like what if they're what if they're really asking for it? Then yeah, <laughs> then we then we punch down. Yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, I look. I, the only way to get through the day really is to find things funny to have a sense of humor about and that's that's actually something i'd really dislike about the the woke movement is how serious it is yeah and i and i dislike what it's done to comedy i think it's just destroyed comedy and that's pretty self-evident to anyone that pays attention to uh comedy and and if you've been a fan of of comedy for a long time i have and i've been just watching these specials get worse and worse um, and oh, you more mean and more Hannah, se- Hannah Gadsby? You weren't like well, I falling mean, just, out of it, your chair laughing? <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 Clapter, right? Like it's Clapter. Um, have you heard of this concept? Yes. It's like it's not laughter. Yeah. Well, the late night show, the late night yeah. shows are all are all Clapter. They're all, now. they're all they're all like that now, and it's and I miss you know the sort of Craig Ferguson. Do you remember back when he was on late night and he was he had a show after I think it was after Letterman. Was, yeah, I kind of late. stopped watching. Yeah, I kind of feel yeah. like I st- I started going to bed too early at some point to okay. watch these yeah, shows. So this but is yeah. when I was like, I was in like college. I was watching him. Um, he was what I liked about him is that he was a very smart guy. Like it was very clear that he was highly intelligent. He never. He was always sort of joking around, but it was not in a mean spirited way. Um, and. And he was sort of spontaneous, you know, like off the cuff. Yeah. Um, and taking some risks, too, with his comedy, which I thought was really interesting. And I, I that a show like that could never like late night has walked away from that rather than get closer to it, which is what I would have wanted. Now it's becoming even more, you know, anodyne. Like, I mean, is it so that's true? Because I really I totally stopped watching them. I think yeah, once, I, I once The Daily anymore. Show went off the air. I and I mean Colbert I mean Colbert was was genius the Colbert report mm-hmm, in its original mm-hmm. incarnation and I don't know what's happened to him now um apparently there's a documentary so th- well maybe I should have researched this before bringing it up so Louis CK has a has a film out that he's been kind of making the rounds on podcasts talking about that apparently has like Sarah Silverman is in it and um like you know it sounded like a couple people who otherwise have been kind of keeping their mouths shut. So I think maybe that would be something worth watching and we could talk about it sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Colbert Report. uh, I mean, I liked it better than The Daily Show because his guests were often people that weren't, you know, he would have like an author of a not like crazy bestseller. It was just, you know, or like a a scientist or something. Yeah. Somebody somebody, somebody genuinely interesting. Yeah. It was like a proto podcast. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, exactly. And it was somebody you wouldn't have heard from. Like, I, there were so many um, writers and thinkers and just, you know, activist types. Like, I've never heard of before. And when I tuned in to the Colbert Report, I was introduced to them. And that was, I just found that to be, it was such a great space. And then now, I don't know what Colbert is doing. I can't, I can't tolerate it at all. Preserving um, his career. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I, I just... Ugh, it's awful. It's just awful and it's boring and he's lecturing at me and he's not that funny anymore. And I don't know what's happened. So I, uh, to me, there's something almost nefarious about the loss of our ability to take ourselves less seriously. 
and to take even to take others less seriously. You know what I mean? Like this, but there's this hyper, hyper, hyper. Let's be empathetic, 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 empathetic. Right. Um, and it's it's taken us to this weird place that I don't think is better or more compassionate or thoughtful or anything. Um, if anything, it's just fraught. It's yeah, fraught well, and, and it's, it's boring heavy, and, and it's, it's he- heavy. Yeah. The heaviness, I think, I mean, it's, it's an incredible burden. Like mm-hmm. to have to constantly um, be in that mode, it's, a, it's just a terrible way to live. I mean, there's no greater compliment that you can pay somebody than you know, treating them, teasing them as you would anyone else. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to be teased. That's maybe not the best word, but you know, it's, I, I just, it's, if, if you can kind of go through your life as if you're in a comedy, that's such a gift. It's just such an asset. And I have to say, I, I, I remember reading like, I, I mean, I remember reading like John Irving books when I was younger, like John Irving novels or, or even when I first read Bridget Jones diary. Okay. This is like, I'm sure you were very young, if the, but that book, the, the first Bridget Jones diary is a brilliant book. It is a fantastic. It's a sad. Are you looking it up? Or do I hear you typing? I, You're like, what is it? What is that? What is that? Um, yeah. One of these days, I'm just going to punk you. I'm just going to make a reference to something that doesn't exist at all. And you're going to be like, wait, what? I'm going to get to it. I'm going to find I, it. I know that's I'm real. I know it. it's well, real. It was there a was movie. a movie. Yeah, it was a movie with Renee Zellweger. <laughs> but um, Helen Fielding, who wrote the novel, I mean, that book is just a tour de force of, of satire. And it makes fun of the self-help movement. And it makes fun, I mean, of, of like sort of the women's magazine kind of ethos and I, I actually reviewed it for the village voice back when it came out I guess it was like 1997 or 98 and um, I just remember reading that book and finding it so funny and finding the the way that the character sort of went through her life with this incredible like sense of humor about herself and just like embrace of her own foibles and mortifications and it was I kind of like floated along for a few months after reading that novel as if I was in the novel and, and like nothing, everything bad that happened was just kind of funny. And it was like this incredible kind of just gear to be in. And, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's, that is harder and harder to find. Uh, and you know, there's all, there's, there's many reasons for that. I mean, I've also, I've also talked about how I used to I used to think of myself as being in like a French film, like in a French independent film. Like I used to spend a lot of time like smoking cigarettes and staring out into space (laughs) when I was in my twenties. And um, it was because like, I thought that that was the kind of ultimate way to be. Like if you could feel like you were in an, if if you were in an art film, you were absolutely living the best possible life. even if you know something like um the agnes varda film uh vagabond where the 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 girl ends up like dying in a ditch freezing to death in a ditch at the end but you know there were some beautiful like cinematic moments (laughs) leading up to that (laughs) where she was like you know in a field and you know contemplating life whatever so yeah so i feel like this kind of aesthetic um boost that we once got um, either from comedy or from reading something that's funny or just seeing like a kind of, you know, a, a very kind of moving cinematography that has been all that, all that kind of media has been replaced by memes and snark, frankly, and clapter mm-hmm. that it's, uh, it's really a loss. Like it's, it's as if it's taking this, that there's, there's a dimension that has been 
kind of taken out of our lives, like a, like a piece of a Jenga puzzle that has been like pulled out from under us. And everyone's just kind of living in this, you know, very taking everything very seriously and also just, you know, very solipsistic as, as well. So anyway, that's my little so we're So that. we're trying to do something different. And, you know, we hope that people like it. Um, I assume some people won't like it. Some people already aren't liking <laughs> they, the it. The people That's who okay. don't like it will probably listen for longer, though. You know, they've done studies about that. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, when Howard Stern uh, first, you know, started to gain momentum, they were finding that people, the people who loved him listened, you know, for an average of, I don't even know, like 45 minutes or whatever. You know, he had a three-hour show. And the people who hated him listened for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And that was, I don't see that. I don't understand. I don't hate the. I don't understand the hate. The hate listen follows the hate listen. The hate whatever. I don't get it. But there's so many people who are like this. Like I know people who tune into programs every single day that they hate because they hate it. You know, like a little <laughs> <laughs> like podcasts or TV shows. Tucker Carlson. Oh, you know, like oh. I hate Tucker. I'm gonna watch Tucker every day. Um, and I just, I'm like, that's crazy. That's crazy. You know, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't like it, don't watch it. <laughs> just don't watch it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it gets people stirred up. It's like a dopamine hit. But like, why do you, I I definitely follow people on Twitter who I hate. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I do too. But it's not like a, a, a t- for me, it's like kind of like, I want to understand. I, I don't want to put myself into an ideological bubble that I, you know, and I never, ever see what's going on on the other side. So it's kind of like what's happening there like a little check-in and they'll just pop on my timeline and I'll see, Oh, here's what, you know, this kind of, uh, identity right. politics, insane person okay. thinks very... about this issue. So it's, it's more of like, a yeah, it, it's, it's not, I'm not enjoying it. Okay. Well, you're a better I, person than I, because I, I follow them because I, I want to see them say something stupid and get ratioed. That's yeah. why I follow uh, them. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, um, I don't love seeing that. I don't know why. Maybe I should. Maybe that's wrong. Well, There's you, something you wrong with me more, there that more, I can't more enjoy. More empathy than I do, obviously. Um, well, okay. So, um, all right. Anyway, so yeah. So people, if you don't like the show, uh, just keep listening. If you really hate it, listen for longer. And if you like it, uh, listen for not quite as long. And 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 review us if you like Please. it, because these haters are yeah. The hate- don't don't let the haters showing win. up. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so okay. Moving on. Yeah. So uh, we we recorded this. Uh, we we recorded last week. I guess it was a couple days before the Fourth of July, and then there was the horrible uh, shooting in Chicago, in Highland Park, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Um, I mean, it's such a cliche to say that it almost that people are numb to this kind of thing, but. Um, I did. I really was the the story, especially of the toddler who lost both of his parents was that has stayed with me. That has haunted me. Did you Mm -hmm. have any immediate feelings about the event? Um, I mean, the same as you get with any of these events of just it's depressing. It's hard. I, I find it. I actually really find it hard to read about like what you just like who was impacted and how, like the mm. victims and their families. Um, I've started to stay away from it um, because 
it's it's sort of like emotional regulation for me. I almost I can't handle mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't process it properly. Um, the horror of it hits me harder since I mean I think it's since I've you know started a family. Yes. I feel very I feel differently about these things. And even like watching even watching TV shows where you know someone's kid gets hurt, it's harder for me to tolerate and handle now. Um, and and events like this is just. Uh, it's an incomprehensible yeah. kind of horror for me. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, so I, I was, of course, you know, immediately I thought, oh gosh, is this going to be one of these like stereotypical white supremacist um, kind of shooters, uh, ideologues? But it turned out this guy is just your sort of, you know, he's he's psychotic. Robert Crimo is the name of the shooter. He um he he just had sort of like a, a constellation of ideas he was into i mean he 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 was borrowing sort of the aesthetics from many different kinds of movements he was like he was he was a little antifa a, a little nazi uh you know a, a little bit of everything uh so it was very hard you know i think the media of course initially they tried to like find a very convenient narrative and then that didn't actually work out you know, but what was frustrating, I mean, to say the least, is that, you know, he purchased these firearms legally and his father sponsored his purchase. And this is a kid who had had, you know, the police come to the house multiple times. He had had weapons and swords confiscated. This was a, you know, troubled family, was known to be troubled in the community. And yet he was still able to buy guns legally in a, in mm-hmm. a state with, with pretty you know, pretty significant gun restrictions. This was in Illinois. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of just, so, so, and then, you know, I noticed that then people started to have sort of different narratives, like why, you know, how, how did this guy get to be the way he is? And he has this look, he's not the typical, you know, kind of militia, happy, um, you know, AR 15 wielding, like, you know, guy who, you know, it, it, this is not the, the the Kyle Rittenhouse model, right? This is uh, this is a different kind of thing, and I'm not comparing the two. Kyle Rittenhouse was not is not a mass shooter, D- different thing. Um, you know, this kid has like, you know, weird colored hair, and apparently he had to 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 get away from the crime scene, he had dressed up like a woman. I mean, he had this kind of gender bendy aesthetic and all that kind of thing. Um, and speaking of Tucker Carlson, <laughs> did you happen to? So you don't watch Tucker? Is that what you're saying? No, I only encounter Tucker through people on Twitter sharing. Yeah. So I mean, the thing about Tucker is, he, too often, like he gives these monologues, and too often there's like a, a kernel of truth there, and he just extrapolates to such a point where it's nonsense and it's inflated and it's damaging and it's completely. like a a shit show um but i want to just play a little clip from what he uh had to say about about uh this this shooter and the news that the police had confiscated uh weapons from him previously and and the rest so so we can listen in on this so there you have it back in april of 2019 police found out that cremo had tried to kill himself and then a few months later in september he threatened to quote kill everyone so police took away his knives and that was it 
They didn't follow up. But even if they had, what would they have done? Taken away his guns? He'd get more knives. In any case, police didn't think the situation warranted further steps. As we saw, Prima was still able to buy firearms legally, despite being obviously mentally ill. Now, pause for a second. Why is that? Look at Robert Bobby Cremo. Would you sell a gun to that guy? Does he seem like a nutcase? Of course he does. So why didn't anyone raise an alarm? Well, maybe because he didn't stand out. Maybe because there are a lot of young men in America who suddenly look and act a lot like this guy. It's not an attack, it's just true. Like Cremo, they inhabit a solitary fantasy world of social media, porn, and video games. They're high on government-endorsed weed. Smoke some more, it's good for you. They're numbed by the endless psychotropic drugs that are handed out at every school in the country by crackpots posing as counselors. And of course, they're angry. They know that their lives will not be better than their parents. They'll be worse. That's all but guaranteed. They know that. They're not that stupid. And yet the authorities in their lives, mostly women, never stops lecturing them about their so-called privilege. You're male. You're privileged. Imagine that. Try to imagine an unhealthier, unhappier life than that. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of that, Sarah? Hmm. So, yeah, I... I <sighs> The whole, I mean, I watched that whole little segment and I think your diagnosis of it is fairly on point in that it's the, everything that he has to say about where young men are um, strikes me as insightful and interesting, at least, at least true for a certain percentage of young men, but then, but then a you know, uh, uh, connecting it to this. And I, I just, I always hesitate, you know, I don't, I don't know about the wisdom of trying to diagnose what's wrong with our society and our culture through an insane act of somebody who appears to be you know, at least a little mentally ill. Um, you know, I, I just don't know if this is a wise thing well, to do lot. in any I context. Mean, this guy's obviously a lot mentally ill. Yeah, a lot. I mean, and I, and and what you said also earlier about him having all these different like aesthetics, like that's that's what struck me when I was first like googling this guy. There's all these pictures of him with different colored hair, different color, like all these yeah. wacky clothes, um, tattoos on his face. Sometimes what appears to be like, you know, maybe makeup, maybe I don't know what, but he's, he has all this going on and so many different looks. He definitely feels to me like, you know, the internet. Like he he's like a meme personified yes, almost. You yes, know, there's something yes. it's very odd. You know, it, it's a very odd thing to be to, especially if, for someone as 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 young as I mean, this takes time to be so involved in this way and be transforming your appearance um in all these strange ways. I mean, it, it so there's there's something going on with him. I don't know if it's the thing that's going on with all young men everywhere. Um, having said that, I think if you just separated these conversations from like, if you stopped, you know, if you t take out the, the shooter from the conversation altogether, I think the point that Tucker was making wasn't, was, was interesting, I guess. Um, as to the bit about SSRIs, what did you think about that? Well, okay. First of all, I'm not sure what he means. So that, that, the, the the SSRIs are being given out by like 
school nurses. I was a little confused by that because it made it sound like, you know, school nurses or guidance counselors were like prescribing these or handing them out like candy or something like that. I mean, so again, it's this, the hyperbole really muddies any kind of like coherent. And it, you know, it also could be like the causation could be flipped around. It could be that they're, they're troubled. So they received SSRIs, yeah. not that the SSRIs are making them troubled, right? Like it's, or increasing. Cause he also right. like, um, uh, later on he, he, he lists, you know, all these shooters that were on such and such kind of medication, um, that was all within this family, uh, of medications. And he was like, aha, well, maybe these are right. I it's mean, like, it's, well, maybe, maybe they were troubled and that's why they got well, it. And it's, yeah. I mean, the causation correlation thing yeah. always comes up because right. And, in probably in many of these cases the the kids will if they have a problem they're going to receive medication rather than adequate therapy there's obviously stuff going on in the family so already you've got a family situation where there's not enough attention given to this kid uh for whatever reason and so they go to a medication to try to deal with it i mean look (laughs) there's there's a million variables but Mm -hmm. i you know i do i thought it was really interesting that this kid you know, he looked, he had a kind of social justice warrior aesthetic to him in, at some he, it point. Was a, it was a, just a vaguely internet. It was, it was, yeah. it was, he was the internet. Exactly. That's what was staring back at yes. me. And and, I, <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfectly put. Yeah. And, you know, he had this rap, he was a YouTuber and he had this like kind of rapper persona, like some kind of presence that way. And yeah, he's, he's sort of co-opting all of these different um aesthetics and and you know he's like he's a psychopath whose grievance is is really largely incoherent and so when you're not able because that kind of statement in and of itself is just doesn't really take you anywhere you're just kind of throwing up your hands okay we we don't know how to make sense of this then you're going to go into things like okay well is it because he's on psychotropic medication is it because he's being raised by single moms which in, in this case uh, he, he wasn't. I mean, he's got a he's got a father. Obviously, the family's in, in great deal of dysfunction. But uh, you know, this idea that these kids are being raised by women and that the authority figures in their lives are women, be them mothers or teachers, and they're being told that they're useless because they're men. Like this. See, this is one of the things. Like I, I, I find this concept interesting and I want to think about it more and I want to talk about it more but Tucker is not talking about it in a way that is useful and in fact he's making it harder to talk about it in an intelligent way mm. yeah I mean that could be said about Tucker in yes a hundred different in, in hundred, contexts yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean part why, why I don't listen um but yeah it's you're right I think that there's maybe something there but he 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 he, f- he wants to find a bad guy and a very a clear problem, you know, and that bad guy is, you know, single moms or whatever, you know, and, and he, he, he distills it in a way that, that, that you had, you started off with this grain of truth and now you're, now you're somewhere else. Um, and maybe you're even further from, further from the truth, whatever it is. Um, but I think the general point that, you know, is, does the lack of, a social structure that might correct for these behavioral problems or identify these behavioral problems, at least like, does that play into it with some of these troubled young men? And I think that that's, that's probably true with a lot of these guys. 
why why the so many of them are are like you know 4chan kind of like hyper online yeah. meme type people and i i think that's not a, that's not a coincidence um what it can you can say that what it speaks to is these you know online radicalized spaces so shut them down but there's also something else going on which is that they are they're that means they're distanced from what we would have called you know normal socialization you know normal uh you know patterns of of behavior especially for young people and to the extent that this guy says anything about the broader culture he does there is something going on with our young people who are increasingly online increasingly on these isolated spaces that become places of fantasy uh and where their social relations with each other are are warped and you know and they're so young that they don't recognize don't know that this isn't the way things are Right. Um, you know, uh, that this is there. There's something strange going on about this kind of reality that we've created together online and how much of it is false and how much of it is aesthetics and, you know, imagery and, you know, LARPing. Um, and, and they they don't know that because this is how they've this is how they've been raised. And we've talked about gender ideology so much on, on this podcast already. And I think that this has something to do with that as well. There's these like little online spaces, these isolated little communities and they form a different reality for these young people. And we don't know what this is doing to their brains. You know, we don't know what, what kind of person is being formed. And there must be some percentage of people who are already prone to antisocial behavior to, or to, you know, erratic extreme behavior, who now are plugged in into this bizarro reality, um, and and maybe that the, maybe this is this is what the, the consequence of that. Yeah, I mean, you know a lot about ex- political extremism. You, I mean, I'm assuming you know a lot about like online, you know, radical. Um, what am I trying to say? You know, political extremism, political um, fundamentalist, just violent extremism online. So do you think that when people talk about how, you know, there, there is rampant, you know, for instance, um, like white supremacy organizations online that are recruiting young men and getting them caught up in this. Do you think that that's overblown that people who are sounding that alarm are, sort of ignoring or not understanding the fact that some of these guys are just kind of like just tr- almost trolling or just kind of dabbling in in the imagery without having any real connection to like any, any kind of substantive ideology i think it's a little bit of i think they're, they, they're right to some degree i mean what so what you just said that they're dabbling in imagery that is i think the truth for many of them but i I also think there's a case of not being able to tell the difference between um, what is imagery, you know, what is, you know, live action role playing and what is reality. And I think that does happen in the cases of a lot of these young people. Um, And we see that playing out in a lot of different ways, mostly ways that aren't, you know, hurting other people. There aren't, uh, you know, violent extremists necessarily. Um, I I think it's... What I find unhelpful about the, 
you know, white supremacists are organizing online conversation is that it often comes from a place that is deeply antagonistic to these young men to begin with. So even if there was, you know, a grain of truth in what they were saying, I think there's more than a grain of truth in what they're saying, that the radical groups exist um, and they're quote unquote recruiting. I, I wouldn't really put it that way, but I, but they're, they're not uh, empathetic to the problems that these young men face and they're mm-hmm. actively stigmatizing them, therefore increasing the appeal of such groups if they exist. Right. Um, you know, are, uh, if they really are a real menace, then then we definitely don't want to these men to jump into their arms. And it is true what what Tucker said uh, that that if you're if you're or he implied I think uh, in the clip that it, there's a culture that's telling you that it's bad to be a man. Um, it's that there's there's no healthy way for young men to express their masculinity. Um, and, you know, there's there's just toxic, toxic, toxic masculinity. And there's not a lot of options for okay, what, what does positive masculinity look like? Um, in, in, instead, it's just whatever is positive is actually feminine or it's like mm-hmm. gender neutral. But there's never something that they have for their for their own selves. That's theirs. Uh, that's an expression of their manhood. Um, it, it, but but toxic masculinity is uniquely theirs, which is interesting. Right, they're allowed to have that one. Yeah, I mean, and this is a subject that it's so easily, it's it's so easily reduced to some kind of like anti-feminist talking point or MRA men's rights activist kind of talking point, and it's really unfortunate because there are so many different things going on here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm listening to you say what you just said, and I completely agree, but I can also imagine being, you know, any number of very online feminists or even many friends of mine, frankly, they would sit here and listen to you and they would say, oh, well, come on. I mean, white men are in charge of everything. How can you say that? They're still not getting, you know, they're still running the institutions. They're still, you know affecting the law, you know, they're still in Congress, they're still running governments. It's like, how do you, how can we sort of distill this and so that we can be clear what exactly we're critiquing? Well, I think if we're, when we talk about, you know, who's in charge of boardrooms in America, we're talking about a tiny percentage of the population. Right. Um, and that needs to be acknowledged that even even if it is it is it is entirely possible that every boardroom in America is majority male um, or even like, you know, like like a super majority male, um, even white male. And and that the lives of young men are, you know, filled with despair and alienation and and uh, and stigma for being male that, that that's those are they, they can they can exist in the same world um you know and i, I think b- b- both of those the the, the two uh, uh what i just threw out there they're, they're both extreme cases i don't think they're entirely true um but it's it's possible that power is in the hands of the specific demographic at the very tippy tip mm-hmm. um and that the lives of the average a uh, young man, don't, it just doesn't look like that. Right. And his possibilities aren't their possibilities. 
and we have to be able to just, I mean, this is partially why, like, I think the, the speaking of these things in identity terms really messes with our ability to be accurate in what we're talking about. Because when we say, you know, white men are in, you know, we're, we're talking about, we're talking yeah. about CEOs, you know, those are not, I mean, I grew up in like in a, in a you know, bad part of town, quote unquote, in a bad part of town in a good good general like area my parents were we didn't have a lot of money growing up but they wanted to be in a good school district so we were in like the tippy just a little edge of these like apartments um so we could we could go to these these good schools but i grew up with other you know i i saw other americans that didn't have a lot um we didn't have a lot growing up and there were plenty of them where were white kids. Um, I remember my my neighbor, uh, who was our neighbors for a couple of a couple of years. Um, I was in the gifted talented program. Uh, he was in the gifted talented program, um, and yet I I knew that I had a future ahead of me, and he didn't. Mm. And I, I don't know how. I mean, I just saw it in the air, right? I knew that we were different in some way. I think you know, looking back on it now, like what was I perceiving? I think what I, what I was perceiving were these markers of class, but really also just social disintegration um, that a lot of these conservative pundits are, are referring to when they talk about these things. Um, you know, I was seeing that I had two committed parents who were hard workers, who were on their way up in the world, that we were, you know, poor, but it was a momentary thing that we would you know, our, the, the kids would get college educations and then we would be different and we would take care of our parents and our parents wouldn't, you know, die in these apartments. Um, and I and for him, you know, it was it was different. His mom wasn't in the picture. He was being raised by a single father who was crippled, who um, something was wrong with his leg. I don't know if how, how badly crippled he was, but something was wrong with his leg. He would I would find his dad, you know, on, on our way to school, he would be slumped over in his car in the morning with beer cans all around, like in, in the car, you could see on the dashboard everywhere. And he's passed out on the wheel. Uh, you know, I think he would, he would drink in the car alone. He didn't want to be drunk in front of his boys. Um, and so he would do that. And th- that's how we found him in the morning. And he was such a wonderful, kind man too, but he was struggling. He was he was struggling with his life was difficult. His, his situation was tough. And I knew that these boys are not, they're not going to be where I'm going to be, you know, and even if we're equally talented, um, you know, I'm, I'm in this gifted program. One of their, one of his sons was in the gifted program like that, but that's, but, but we're not going to be in the same place. I knew that. And they were white, you know, they're these white males that I keep hearing about um, as, as extremely powerful and uh, able to make their way in the world, however they like, because of all these systemic advantages. But there were, there were advantages that I had too, that they didn't have. I don't see too much of that, you know, being discussed. And, and I think this is, it just, it breaks my heart when I think about them. And when I think about the kinds of, the other kinds of people I saw growing up, when I, you know, when I was young and when we were in, in, you know, living in, in these low income kind of spaces. And I don't feel that we're being fair to them. And I understand their grievance. And so many of the people that 
just chit chat about this, right? The, 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 the people who are writing, the people who are doing the books and then, and, and even the podcast, right? Like we, we come from a class uh, that does not see these problems as real because we don't experience them for the most part. I think I'm unique in that I saw it growing up, but everybody else that I talk to, you know, where I live today, I live in a nice neighborhood where everybody is highly educated. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think that many of the people that I know now have ever seen anything like this, right. have ever seen this kind of America. They can't empathize with it. And, you know, and it, it, that's one of the reasons it disturbs me so much that everybody who's talking about this is somebody who doesn't know this America. Do you think that your neighbors, these guys, were racist at all? Maybe, you know. Uh, were they racist against they you? They were never racist a, to us. Yeah. They were They were only ever, their dad was so kind. He was always, he was just the nicest man. And... Uh, always the nicest man, um, but he was troubled. They were all troubled, um, you know, and, and the kids would be unsupervised for large parts of the day because they didn't, who knows where their mom was. Um, and their father was obviously working. Um, so I, there was one time that one of them fell through, like he injured himself really badly. Um, and it was a weekend, but no one was home. So we took them to the, took him to the emergency room and got him patched up. And it was just, I remember thinking, where, where are his parents? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where are they? And we didn't know where they were and we, you know, couldn't contact them. And it was just, you know, and it was, it was clear to me that this is a different, their, their capabilities in this world, regardless of whether or not they're putting in their very, you know, level best the way that I was at school or whatever, even, even if they were, they still couldn't, they still weren't going to succeed the way that I knew that I, I had it in me to do it because I had a very different foundation um, supporting me. Yeah. And again, if you talk about intact families and the tremendous advantage that that will give anybody, that's also been taken off the table. Well, yeah. I mean, because you're stigmatizing single moms or whatever, and now you're, now you're doing conservative Right. You're, 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 this is this is a conservative talk point. And it, again, I, I, I agree with you that I think that that often people like Tucker make things worse because of the way that they talk about it, because they are seeking someone to demonize in this case. And in, in the case of this the, you know, well, here, I you know, my neighbors were there was a single dad, um, not a single mom, but uh, they're seeking somebody, somebody that they want to that, that that should be that. That is the party that should have behaved more responsibly right. and isn't behaving that way. But it's a it's a different problem. It's a cultural problem. Like what's going on there is, uh, it's fueled by a hundred different dysfunctions, yeah. um, and so the problem isn't going to be solved easily. And it's not going to be solved by pointing the finger at, you know, a mother trying to do her best raising her cho- her children alone. Um, at the same time, it's worth talking honestly about, and I don't think we're doing that either. Were those kids and you, were you of the generation where SSRIs were being introduced into the population of young people, or were you from before then? I think I'm slightly before then. I was I was in the Adderall age. Oh, um, what is that? Yeah, there was like a lot of ADDs going around, but where I where when I was very young, that wasn't the case because again, I I didn't 
Um, I, I was raised in these apartments and the kids weren't, nobody was paying attention to them, much less medicating them. Um, so it was sort of a different problem, but you know, I, I think they, those kids will probably have said things that we would find very cancelable. You know, it, were, were our lives to be online, like if we all had Twitter, <laughs> you know, when we were teenagers, I'm sure those kids would have said something that would have labeled, you know, got, gotten them labeled as just these horrific monsters, uh, white supremacists. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know them to be anything other than kids, you know, <laughs> Um, and kids who were in an environment where they they weren't fed all you know this is this is the right way to speak about x and y and z they, i mean they not only were they going to make mistakes they were going to make a lot of mistakes and that was just a it, it was just uh you know something you can't avoid when you grow up in that kind of context um you know I, I, and i think this is it's part of my frust- just general frustration um, and anger when, when we, when we, you know, as a society take part in these conversations and there's this general demonization of young white males, um, because I think back, I can't help but think back to those boys and the boys that I knew and their realities. And of course, that's not the reality of every white guy everywhere, but that is that is the reality of, of, you know, three boys <laughs> yeah. um, somewhere and they, they matter. And they, this isn't it, the portrayal of them as um, these highly privileged uh, racist people is at least, at least in this context, in that context, it wasn't true. So maybe it's not true in many contexts and maybe we should just give it up. Well, speaking of families, there was a, a Twitter thread uh, making the rounds the last few days um, about um, how you should be, uh, how how you should treat your family if you're going to be a really good social justice ally. Uh, you actually brought this one to my attention. Do you want to explain how you stumbled upon this? Um, I stumbled upon it by by other people dunking on it. Okay, and... that's always the best way. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I changed my I changed my Twitter so that I see like recent tweets first and not top tweets which has made my timeline better and that I see more of the content that I, you know, signed up for. But I think Twitter understands me pretty well. And it knows, it knows, you know, here's the draw. It's it's really, it's like, wow, I am really obsessed. Like, it's like, you would, I really need to get some hobbies. Like, it knows what I'm interested in. And it's basically like, it knows. And it knows that what we, yeah, yeah, well, what we say and what we, you know, what we, what we want to want and what we actually want are two different things. They know that. And that's why, yeah, they have the top tweets. Um, uh, option and anyway, so 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 it it turned up um, on my feed. A lot of people were 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 dunking on her, so I I didn't want to pile on too much, which is why I didn't I didn't really tweet about this. But it was it was it was an interesting. But we're gonna do that now, right? We're, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're gonna save it for this. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pile on now. Um, and then get another you know two star review. Um, oh, this is where all of our stars are gonna be. Oops, sorry but um how okay but who is, first of all who is, is this a public figure who is this person just vaguely we don't have to say her name because we can't pronounce it for starters so she's well we don't i don't think we have to get into like 
okay. who she is, do we? Like, because I think But is that, she like a not, but she's not a rando. She's not a rando. No. Um, is she a journalist? Is she an academic? Is she an activist? Hold on. You're asking all these questions, Megan, and I actually don't know the answer. All right. Them, so. it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But OK, but this let's suffice it to say that this she had a, a, a tweet thread um, that that was social justice in nature. And I thought maybe what we should do is. Um, and then and also the replies, I mean, we should in, in fairness, th- this got ratioed pretty badly. Um, people did not take it well, but there were enough replies that were very much um, in the same vein. People who are uh, aligned with her that I think they're, they're worth h- highlighting here. Um, so I thought we would do a kind, of, kind of like a staged reading of them um, uh, and, and kind of see how that went. So um, and we're going to I'm going to read. So I'm going to read her line because she she's talking about being a, a white ally. And since I'm the white person here, I'm, I'm going to read her her lines and then we will um we will switch off reading some of the replies are you up for that okay this this. is this is our first foray into um performance into the performance space okay i also have to have some um i think i think we should have some music in the background so i'm gonna i'm gonna start and then i'm gonna put the music on okay Honestly, if you're a white person who says they're committed to racial justice and you're in good standing with most of your family, I have questions for you and they are definitely pointed. Okay, here's the next tweet. Full disclosure, I'm in contact with exactly three members of my birth and extended family for this specific reason. I don't know if I can do this without laughing. Okay, third. That first question is how committed are you really? Even the good white families are a skosh racist when you scratch the surface. All right, you want to come in with the replies? Yeah, yeah, and the reply. replies are okay. really wonderful. Bring it on. Okay, so I'm not in good standing with most of my family, and this is one of the reasons. I feel like most black people I've heard from want us to do the work of dealing with those same family members as opposed to just cutting them out of our lives. That doesn't mean ignoring hard conversations, though, and I guess good standing is up to interpretation. If those family members refuse to listen, learn, or change, what do we do? My family members become aggressively defensive and then act like I don't exist instead of apologizing or trying to learn when I attempt to have conversations. Sometimes cutting them out is the only way. Racism should be viewed as a white, that's all caps, white problem to be solved rather than a black problem to empathize with. The dichotomy between the declarations, all men are created equal, and the Constitution's support of slavery and racism should be understood. The former should be our goal. Just going to cheer you as a fellow WW white woman, I guess. Yeah, oh, WW. Megan, you should have been, ra- you should have been reading this one. Yeah, okay, you know I'm, I'm going to do it. I'll do it. Go I'll ahead. do it. Um, just gonna cheer you as a fellow white woman for saying it like it is. My own such relatives are either already dead or cut off. Mini Driver and Gross Point Blank said it best. You don't get to have me. Family is not more important than equal rights. That is a mic drop. When you're quoting Mini Driver and Gross Point Blank, mic drop. We'll just bring this on home. 
The point is that all white people are racist. There is something defective in our culture, our genetics, or both, such that even the good ones have evil in their hearts. Do you have evil in your heart? Uh, as a as a, as white, a white person? person? Oh no, not as a white person. I just think as maybe as an individual. As a person, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I agree. I'm not bad because of my race no. or gender. It's just it's who I. <laughs> I'm bad because I'm a writer. Bad because of me. <laughs> I'm a bad. No, I'm bad because I'm a writer. It's like writers are horrible people. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm an activist, so I feel like that's. Oh. Um, you're just an asshole yeah. then yeah well there you go <laughs> uh yeah so this got um this got despite all the the, the tweets that we pulled out here that this got uh ratioed pretty badly and people were pretty alarmed by this the idea that you should denounce your family out of a commitment to to social justice um but i do think um i don't know do we have some thoughts about the family in general yeah i mean there's some – this is – I mean, this comes up every Thanksgiving, right? Like, we all, we have these, like, think pieces about like, – <laughs> The uncle. About the uncle. Murmur, murmur. The uncle you know, who's, yeah. a, who's a MAGA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's – I f- find it weird. It's just a strange conversation. So let me, give, let me give my context. My context is that, you know, I'm very op- – I'm an open, you know, ex-Muslim, like uh, – somebody who's denouncing the religion of my parents basically and and it's not a it's not a religion that welcomes disagreement <laughs> or uh, apostasy mm. um so it's 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 obviously it's a very tough subject and it's sort of the kind of thing like i hang out with my family and we don't talk about it um they are very religious some of them are not that religious anymore some of them remain very religious uh some of them are actively opposed to what i'm doing some of them don't talk to me anymore Mm. because of it don't invite me over don't you know want anything to do with me um that's you know it's all part and parcel of of doing something that your family like strongly disagrees with and you know of course it is the case that it's uh you know, so I come from I come from the perspective of somebody who's like experienced the 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 ostracizing, um, not somebody who's doing it uh, to others, and it's it's something I understand to be you know an extremely dysfunctional way of dealing with difference, whether that be difference from you know within families or anywhere else. Like I mean, this is or in communities or anything like that. This is not how you deal with political difference or value difference or belief difference. Um, uh, and a big part of what I did in my work and do in my work is is deal with the consequences of of you know social um, excommunication essentially like sometimes formal excommunication if you're coming from religious sects that that do that but also just um, you know indirectly cutting people off from families and communities and it's it's a really devastating thing um, it is a form of social death and it you know it, and it it's it it works extremely well at at hurting somebody um and at forcing compliance if that is what indeed you want um but if what you want is to change hearts and minds this is not the way to do it um this is in fact the i would say the exact opposite approach of of you know moderating beliefs and moderating um uh, worldviews, if that is a, if that is what you want, mm-hmm. um, so I you know I think that that there, there's been lots of literature and just 
on on generally on like what happens when you come out like as say say like you're a gay person and you come out as as gay um within your family there's like there have been studies about um people's levels of tolerance when they know a gay person right to homosexuality um and it's just it's something that reliably reliably you are more tolerant towards gay marriage you're more you feel more positively towards uh things like gay marriage if you know a gay person personally right so there's there's a a a social good that you can do by merely being present and kind and empathetic and within a community uh you know in, in which you're wanting acceptance you know so this this stance of you know, I'm just not going to take it anymore and I'm just going to cut these people out and they're going to be punished for being bad and, you know, then they'll miss me and they'll know that they were bad. You know, this is a very self-serving gesture. No matter how she understands it, it is an extremely self-serving gesture. And you can argue that there are some contexts when it is something you need because your family is so toxic, you just can't be around it and you need it for your own, you know, mental health. And that's okay, right? But but understand that that is something you're doing for you and you're not doing for the cause. Um because it, it is it is pretty much I think it's something you really can't counter that that the way to achieve social acceptance for anything um up to and including, you know, political beliefs is to be present, it's to form social bonds with people who think differently than you, it's to continue to have you know, sometimes difficult conversations empathetically and compassionately over the course of years. And that's what, you know, changes minds. And sometimes just being present, even not even having that conversation, but being an example of, you know, the kind of liberal that, you know, maybe your racist family would think is destroying America. But if, you know, if, you know, Nancy shows up at at, at Thanksgiving and she's lovely and she's so sweet, then you, you, mean then you maybe Pelosi? don't hate that. <laughs> I mean, I just thought, you know, white oh. name. I just. Threw oh, Nancy. Oh, um, not Karen. Not Ka- Karen wouldn't okay. even been invited in the okay. first place. Megan, um, shows, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, if she shows up and she's she's wonderful to everyone, I and mean, you have a different view of of liberals, you're more positive. That that positive view reflects on on even the the, the political differences and the beliefs of that person. So there's that's my sort of activist. Like, do you really want change in the world, or are you just uh, is this social cause really like a vehicle for you to feel good about yourself? Um, and, or are you really interested in, in making a difference here? Yeah. I think one of the things too, that happens is that people, they have resentments and they have personal problems and anxieties and grievances, and it becomes then convenient to just wrap those around some kind of supposedly larger cause. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. I hate my family. I have all these resentments. And now here, here comes Trump. And this mm-hmm. is something that I can, I, I can use, I, I can pretend yeah. that it's about Trump. And it's really about these other things. I mean, we've seen this too with COVID, right? I mean, not that we yeah. have to go down this road, but people who have, you know, pre existing anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. Now, the anxiety can be elevated to um, a, a, a sort of moral position. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. go out of my house because I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's because you are agoraphobic and now you, you can cloak it in this other thing. So I think I think we see that in politics a lot, too. Yeah, we do. And I, I think that this is so this is my inherent trad tradism. <laughs> what, what, how would you- <laughs> are you owning your trad tradness? Uh, my trad. Your trad um, tradation. My tridation. That sounds. That's, 
Um, okay. Um, it, it, I am like, I guess, private. I'm I'm privately trad, but in my <laughs> politics, very lib. I think that's that's a, privately. That's a, yeah, yeah. Privately trad, publicly lib, pri- uh, po- politically lib. I think that's the. Yeah, I see. That's a, it's you put it that way because I often put it in the terms that I have a conservative kind of personality. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm a conservative person like in my in my politics necessarily although probably probably more now yeah definitely more now <laughs> now like, that i'm so old and wealthy no. hey you know no. the richer i get i just i get you know i can't help it um no i think that uh i just i i my temperament i i i like to kind of just um i i i i believe in kind of comporting oneself appropriately right and 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 there's so I believe in in the value of family, you know, and I and and community and and all these things that is very fashionable to denounce. Right. Um, and I, I you know, I, I don't know if this is the posture that that's indicative of a healthy, you know, personal mental state, but also of, of you know, it's a it's a it's a very it's a common thing that we just see crop up again and again of people saying that I. I that their family is backwards and uh, and uh, you know politically um, unenlightened and all these things and you know what to do. Yes, yeah, so and they, they have triumphed from you know. this. Yeah, this is something that you see on Twitter a lot, like the, uh, yeah. as if these people are in recovery from their family's politics. Right, right. And it's like it's a, a family is a source of adversity instead of a source of support. Yeah. and and maybe it is the case that for them it. It is family is a source of adversity more so than support, but I doubt it, you know, because a lot of these people come from, again, the kinds of households that, uh, you know, like the, the, my neighbors did not, they did not have a supportive family. You know, they had a, a, a tough, uh, you know, unsupportive yeah. foundation. And they're probably you know, closer and, with their families though, still. They're probably closer. Yeah. They're probably more compassionate towards them too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so uh, instead I see just, just these, on Twitter, you'll see all the time, especially when it comes to gender politics, people saying my mom is a transphobe because she doesn't accept me as a they them, and I just haven't talked to her for two years. Yeah. And I just think this is so this is cruel. You well, know, it's cult like that's what cults do. They it, separate. Yeah, and, they cut you off from your family. And there's something. I, it just seems unhealthy to me to view your family as as yeah something that something that is. A hindrance, you know, something that's preventing you from becoming the, you know, the very best you that you can be. And of course, again, I know that that is sometimes that really is the case. Yeah, some people really are trapped in families that are extremely dysfunctional and environments that are very toxic. And the only way to be healthy is to get out of it. Um, and I've worked with these people. I've helped them leave these yeah. <laughs> environments. You know, um, so I know that it exists, but I also know that it's not. It's not very common and. If we are living in a society in which that's common, that everyone's always running away from their family all the time, that we're we're living in a culture that's you know diseased in some yeah. And way. I think I think for some people, there's almost like this idea that denouncing your family is a trapping of sophistication. Mm-hmm. Like you're not one of these like rubes. You're not some mm-hmm. like traditional normie who's gonna you know hang out with your mom all the time. Like you're yeah. you're you're much more sophisticated. I mean, I have to say, my own parents suffered from this when it came to their families of origin Mm. and uh it was in in retrospect it was like totally messed up 
but yeah, because they thought they saw it. This this could be a conversation for we could devote an entire conversation to the dysfunction of my family. But um, yeah, I think they saw they they identified themselves in opposition to their families of origin, and a lot of it had to do with class strivings and aspirations it's like that. a it's like a yeah. rebellious phase that you never grow out of right you know? like it's <laughs> yeah my parents definitely never grew up. my father did a little bit but my, my mother definitely <laughs> not yeah um but yeah as a result like i'm very not family oriented it's just not something i even think about it's not it's like and it's okay like it's mm-hmm. it's not it, it is the way i am and it actually has worked for me and it's and it's fine um, but it's for sure because of the way I was raised. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway, but, how, but so your trad, we might have to come back to this idea that you're, that you're a trad. I'm more, I'm more trad now, um, than I was when I was younger. I've sort of come around to, but I think I, I agree with you too, that I've, I've always been kind of conservative in my personality. Um, yeah. uh, which is to say like privately, like I, I, the choices that I've made have been pretty stereotypically maybe even um, conservative, but like my political stances, you know, what I've, what I've been doing with my work. I mean, that wasn't conservative. Right. Um, That's very much anti-conservative. Yeah. Well, maybe you have, maybe to be successful, you have to balance it. Like if, if you're going to be really out there in the world and being counterintuitive and getting in people's faces and saying surprising things, maybe you're going to be more successful at that if you balance it out with a more just kind of steadier, boring, kind of yeah, more or, or, sober backstage of your life, you know? Yeah. Or, or, or maybe it's just, you know, that not everything is a problem all the time, you know, like some <laughs> things are very much a problem and you need to talk about it and be, you know, like, and be, you know, picketing and getting up there in people's faces and, and being brave. But, but there are other things that work and you should, you know, it's this sort of idea of like um, this sort of, I think it's a more of a progressive increasingly, you know, um, progressive idea of, of dismantling, you know, just mm-hmm. as an ethos, you know, this is what we do. This is what politics are. Politics are dismantling. Yes. Um, and you start with that first. So there's no, there's no sense of let's see what's working here and what's good and let's cherish this, you know, and, and build upon what's good and try and, you know, soothe away what, what isn't Um, that sort of politics feels conservative now. I don't know why, but it, it, you know, it it feels conservative to me now. Instead, there's this, uh, you know, destroy oppressive systems, destroy the, you know, and then, and then the family just gets wrapped up in it as like the ultimate, uh, the ultimate oppressor. Yeah. Yeah. The the fundamental institution, right? The, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, wow. Well, so we've been um we've we've been going for for a while. Is there anything else uh we want to touch on before we we wrap up? We we're going to offer some uh, spicy bonus content uh to the to the paid subscribers, so we got to save up for that. But did we cover everything for now? I think we I think we've have it. And you guys say gave gave us some wonderful Twitter. I, I I tweeted, you know, uh, hey, what do you want us to talk about? Kind <laughs> you of can thing, always tell that is... we're scrambling because that we're, we feel unprepared <laughs> when you see a tweet like that. That's what that means. No, I I was just I was just curious. No, I do the um, same thing. Uh, and 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 it was uh, it was good. It was there were lots of. I mean, I feel like each of those responses could be like its own podcast. So thank you for doing our work for us. I always <laughs> appreciate it when other people 
do the labor. Yeah. Um, because uh, we're not going to. Um, but uh, uh, we uh, we were thinking that maybe that that we would cover some of those kinds of questions in the bonus special. Yeah. So how's that end. for a hostage? So yeah, we're gonna make oh, yeah, you, we're you gonna go. have you ask these questions and do this work for us, but you can't get the answer unless you pay. <laughs> I love it. Um. um uh, so yeah, okay, but we have some things to promote. So you need to tell. We need to make sure we never yeah, sign yeah. off without making sure people tell. You know, we tell people I have a like, what, we, what we have coming up. Yeah, I have a Substack, and that's where I get you get my very serious writings. Um, I had a piece that did fairly well. People liked um, about the Fourth of July, and it was about my um, my super uh, I, uh, patriotism. Yes. I guess I don't know. It was <laughs> but, a nice and, piece. Thank you. Um, I put it together actually in just like a couple of hours it was like july 4th and i was like there was people posting about especially this july 4th are like today i you know i'm not proud of being an american because of roe um and like uh, oh, that this was country because of that's that stripping. was even before the shooting that was before the shooting yeah this was like earlier on in the day where people were just denouncing america and can you imagine people who a... were happy that roe was overturned can you imagine how patriotic and happy they must have been feeling it's like the <laughs> to... absolute inverse <laughs> yeah um so it was it was a weird it was a weird space that i i decided that I, you know i i want to set the record straight once and for all with my exact did you get a lot of pushback on that piece stance. um you know i i often don't um because i think that this is this is the kind of thing you're not supposed you're not supposed to be to feel positively towards america um, if you're in a specific, you know, class and set, and I think those are the people <laughs> know, that listen to me. It's very déclassé. Being into it, America, it's like having like a plastic purse or something, right? But I'm, you know, allowed to get away with it because I'm an immigrant, so it's like cute on me. But it's, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, you know, but but <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. She'll get over it. She, yeah, she'll know she's um, made it when she hates uh, <laughs> hates America like a real American. Yeah. Um. So you know, not not too much pushback, and and and. Obviously, conservatives liked it, but I, I actually think everyone everyone should like it. Um, yeah, I like it. You know, yeah, I I I love eagles. I love bald eagles, and I've always loved them ever since I had to do a little report about bald eagles when I was in first grade because they were very endangered at that time. I mean, there was that was a big thing that they were all going to go in, extinct. They were very close to going extinct, um, and um, I always loved eagles, and I was always uh, kind of. Uh, chagrined that the, the eagle had been co-opted by the by the political right, you know. Yeah, and you, of, you know what they sound like, though, right? Like you've heard them. They sound like the Stephen Colbert eagle. They, they go, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they so they, the comment that the 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 screech that we hear the eagle like screech so that everyone associates with bald eagles like or most people associate with bald eagles it's actually like a falcon some kind of falcon oh. um but the bald eagle actually sounds kind of lame it's more of a little <laughs> they sound like mitch not, it sounds like mitch it's McConnell. not that powerful sounding yeah it's, it's it's like a little squawk oh. um it's not very grand um so so often what people dub over like an eagle you know like those images of eagles and it is is a is a oh the, it's a it's a it's, a, it's, it's a, a hawk a, i guess not a falcon right. but like a, a, yeah a hawk of of wow. some kind it's like yeah. a, all the voice actors it's uh, mm-hmm, come mm-hmm. in and do the do the there eagle voice all right well i still like eagles even if it has a lame voice um okay so that's so that's hold that thought uh what else is there anything else you want to promote uh no that's about it i think okay 
Um, well, let's see. What do I have? I'm going to be at the Comedy Cellar all week. Uh, no. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the thing. I, I was say. like, really? Yeah, I'm going to wow. be. I'm going to be in Dayton. Uh, I have some <laughs> some gigs now. Uh, I um, let's see. Well, the Unspeakable podcast is. Um, I, I put that on hiatus. <laughs> I, I, it's, you know, I, it, it's, it's hard to have two podcasts. No, I, the unspeakable podcast, uh, it's Sarah Heppola is the guest, um, this coming week. And it's a really fantastic interview. She was back. She was with me a couple months ago and she's back to just kind of continue the conversation. Um, and then that po- podcast is going to be offered this summer while, uh, you know, you and I do this and I've got, uh, some other projects going, but it, it definitely will be back. So don't worry. The unspeakable podcast is not going anywhere. Uh, I am offering a, a class in opinion writing. I'm going to offer Ooh. a class on zoom. Yeah. It's a four week, uh, op-ed class and it, uh, is going to be on four consecutive Mondays, August 2nd through 29th, I believe, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. So that means it's on Zoom. Um, the, the idea is that you can bring your idea. If you if you have something that you think you might want to write an op-ed about, uh, you can just bring your idea in. We can discuss it. The class can discuss it, and you can do a draft of it, and you can have it all in shape and ready to pitch to an editor after Labor Day, when everybody's back, so awesome. Yes. Can I? Can wait? Can I get a discount? Yeah, this is the problem. Is so far all of my friends want to take the class, oh, and gosh. I'm going to have to give everybody a discount. discount. Um, now, it's actually you know normally my classes are are very small and they have a higher price point because I teach personal essay and memoir, but this is um, much lower price point and I th- it, it can kind of accommodate more people. I mean, it's not going to be packed, and and you do have to apply, but. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, th- I think it'll be fun. So the, the uh, application deadline is July 25th and you can go to, uh, daummasterclass.com, uh, to find out about it. Cause that's where my writing workshop Ooh. stuff is. So masterclass. Yeah. I, I know you're I getting know, the best. I know. I know. Well, I think you're not supposed well, to say master anymore. Mas- oh yeah. Well, it's appropriate though, because you're white. I was so going to call it yeah. the, the writing colony, <laughs> the writing colony. <laughs> Yeah, like the Mac- right. the McDowell colony calls itself McDowell now because colony mm. was considered white supremacist. So yeah. So anyway, so that's the class. I was going to call it "Turn Your Tweet into Dozens of Dollars" because <laughs> that is what is. an op-ed is these days. <laughs> <laughs> so it's something for everyone. So yeah, there's that, and uh, my uh, my uh, heterodox women's community, the Unspeakeasy, is uh, still underway. I'm I'm working on that, so you can go to theunspeakeasy.com to find out more about that. And so, um, all right, I guess we're gonna do some some extra stuff for for the paid subscribers. All um, right, and that's it for now. Yeah, thank you, everyone. See you again next week. Okay, rate us and review us. Yeah, rate positively. us positively. Positively, remember positive. <laughs> Don't accidentally rate us negatively. Yeah, if you make a mistake, go back, please. We can't create another app. I'm not account. gonna. I can't sleep until at least we get up to four point nine stars. Megan can't sleep. I can't sleep anyway. Yeah. But that, the reason <laughs> I can't sleep all this time is because of my star ratings on, on okay. Apple Podcasts. Let's face it. Okay, we'll get it up. All right, it'll, it'll work. All right, all right, all right. See ya. Bye. <laughs>